Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck Podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A show designed to create connection, fuel compassion, activate change, and figure out just who the fuck you are. Hey gang, you're listening to the latest episode of the Who the Fuck Podcast. Today we're joined by singer, producer, educator, and Twitch streamer Mari Sullivan, also known by fans as Mari Go. In addition to Mari's various talents, she recently joined the elite group of Ableton certified trainers, which she'll explain to you shortly, making her one of the eight women in the United States to hold the certification. And I'm excited to chat with her about her musical endeavors, both performance-based and technical, and how her ability to create and educate others gives her purpose. So Mari, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Cool, thanks. Thank you for the beautiful intro, by the way. That that was so nice. Of course. I feel like you summed up a lot of stuff that I do in a very succinct way. Feel free to use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm going to take that for my bio. <laughs> anyway, so I mean, as you said, I'm a, I'm a musician and I do a lot of different things within the realm of music, live streaming, writing, producing, performing, of course, teaching. I use a software called Ableton Live, which is a digital audio workstation or a DAW, which just means a program where you can write, create music. I sort of specialize in this software that is sort of industry standard and amazing. It's so much fun and powerful. And so that's a big thing, big part of what I do. So I'm from Chicago, born and raised originally, but I've lived in a bunch of different places like Denver, LA, San Diego for a bit, and now Seattle, which I'm loving Seattle so far. Loving the other musicians up here and just the super chill vibe of the city is really fun. Even during COVID, nice to be here. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the vibe for sure coming from the East Coast originally, this is way more my speed. Yeah. Particularly the Northeast. It's like it's night and day in a lot of ways. So different. It's so different. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from Chicago, but I lived in LA for like seven years and I have to say I'm super excited to be back in a place where there are seasons. Yeah. I loved sure. LA, but but I do appreciate the seasons here. It's nice. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've always wanted to move to California. And I think my lifelong dream, really, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So it very much like a landlocked state. I'm, I'm like a water person to the nth degree. Like if I can be in it or around it, I want to be. I'm with you there. Being in a landlocked state is really rough like that. So coming out here, you know, I had the opportunity for a job out here three years ago, and I had sort of resigned to the fact that my my work wasn't taking me to the West Coast. And I had never thought of Seattle as an option. And honestly, I mean, besides the fact that California is just straight up on fire now, yeah. um, I, I do feel like there's something about Seattle that is just so appealing, both seasonally and just from a nature perspective. Yes. Like it, I'm, I feel like the first time I really could grasp how vast the landscapes are and how significantly different it is. There are mountains on the East Coast and there's some mountain ranges that are, are certainly magnificent, but yeah. it is nothing like the Pacific Northwest. Like There is something very magical and special about this part of the country, I think. Absolutely. I totally agree. And like I went from Denver to LA and I loved being in the mountains in Denver and I love a lot of winter sports and like outdoor stuff. And so I really miss that in LA and I'm I'm very, I feel very refreshed to be back in a place where that's all accessible to me again. Yeah, it's super accessible. And that's the cool thing about yeah. Seattle too, right? Is like you can get to the water. I mean, granted it's lakes and not beaches, but I think I've become like a lot 
more of a lake person than I ever was as a result of being around pristine lakes because I think that yeah. makes the difference right a kind of like mucky looking questionable <laughs> lake or like an alpine no. lake like we were out in Cleellum like probably like a month or two ago just floating on this lake that was just crystal clear and beautiful surrounded Amazing. by mountains and I'm like this is fine I don't need the beach if this is what yeah. you got you know heaven yeah heaven. for sure well I'm certainly glad you're in Seattle because that was an opportunity for us to even connect and meet. And we first met at a So Far Sounds event in our old neighborhood in Ballard. My wife and I were in the audience and you happened to be one of the artists performing that night. But So Far Sounds is pretty unique in what they do in creating shows in intimate settings. And I think you might do a better job describing sort of how they architect their events. So do you want to give our listeners a little understanding of what that's like? Yeah, yeah. So back when we, we could actually have live events, I, I performed with them a couple times, but I also used to volunteer like just for fun to get, you know, oh, cool. get nice. free, free concert and live stuff. Live music? Hell yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I used to like MC the shows on, on occasion. And so, yeah, so I, I know actually a lot about how they how they work. But so it's it's a super fun concept. Every show is three artists, could be individual artists or like a full band. And when you buy the tickets as a as a customer, as a, as a concert goer, you don't see who's on the bill, right? It's just a mystery. So it's really fun because you'll just end up seeing someone you probably never would have bought tickets to, you've never seen, you might never get to see again totally. in a super intimate setting of, you know, always less than 100 people. Yeah. And and so it's just a magical experience sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you nailed it. I think that's a very magical experience. And in fact, what was really cool about it when we went was it was in a leather goods shop and so there was sort of a rustic vibe to it to begin with a lot like a very small group it wasn't even I don't even know if it was 50 people because it was a pretty small venue and when we got there you know like you said you don't know who you're going to see perform and um, you know we were talking before we started recording about how I actually noticed you before I knew that you were going to be performing that night. Like I, I remember sort of catching my eye and noticing that you like how engaged you were with the artists and just like really entrenched in, in what was happening. And so I think like part of that was, okay, like this person's like really into it. That's great. I'm a like very awesome. active listener. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, no, it's, yeah. and it's awesome to see. And, and so it was really cool that like I had sort of observed you in the small crowd and, you stood out to me and then that you ended up going on stage and performing was like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. Totally, <laughs> totally. Like she's vibing right now. What you had mentioned was your passion for producing and doing content live, really. And so it's very raw and uh, I think especially impactful in that way. And you did stripped down versions of your songs, too, which candidly, I think was a really great way to hear your to experience your voice um, you. for the first time, because I mean, I love your music and I love your style of music. But I think hearing the stripped down version of it where your voice is the that is everything that's happening for you in those moments really just accented the incredible nature of your lyrics and then your your agility as a vocalist. So it was just a Thank really you. great experience. And speaking of people that you don't think you'd get tickets to, one of the other people who performed the same night as you, and I can't remember his name, they were a harpist. And oh, they, Calvin. Calvin, yes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Calvin Arsenia. Oh, my gosh. He, he is the most unique performer I've probably ever seen in my life. Oh, my Electric it, harp. And, and he, he can sing like opera, basically. It was mind blowing. <laughs> and I literally feel oh. like he, when he did the cover of Britney Spears' Toxic, I was like, this is a moment. 
<laughs> it was perfect. It was like the perfect cover. Yeah, I was I was like, I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have ever thought to go there. And I love that's one of the beautiful things about that type of event, too, right? Is that you have no clue what you're getting into. And all the artists yeah. that we saw that night, um, yourself, Calvin, and then the other band, I think it was King Cardinal. And I mean, all of the vocals were just really incredible, beautiful. And like you said, yeah, it's great a singers, magical experience for sure. And one of the things that I really love about it, I want to get into your story, but one of the things I really love about it is actually because of the intimacy of the event, after you performed, you were, you know, over towards the entrance and, and by your merch table and stuff. And that was when we first engaged. And I feel like having the ability to connect with artists in a way that is more personal like that is so important. You know, I think a lot of times we see performers as sort of inaccessible or potentially not interested in engaging with their audience beyond like where they are in their performance. And so it was really refreshing to sort of have that opportunity to actually say, hey, I, I, let me tell you, I really loved your performance, you know, and not feel like there's a gate between you and that person yeah. because you all deserve that, um, yeah. you know, as well. I think that accolade is something that is fine when you get it at an aggregate level. But like, I, I love being able to share that one to one feedback with somebody that you feel impacted by. Yeah. And it, that's really fun for me, too. And it, it's important. I mean, I think it's important for like all artists and musicians, but especially for like, the level of like where I'm at in my music career, which is like, you know, I have a lot, I make my living off of music a hundred percent, but like, I'm not just a pop star. You know what I mean? Like I, like I'm playing at smaller venues. I'm still like growing my audience base. And that is a really awesome opportunity for me to, to kind of connect with fans and build a deeper relationship. So I, I like, I really like that about those shows too, as being able and other artists too. I have like made super awesome connections with other musicians at those shows too. Oh, yeah, I bet. I'm sure it's like an amazing networking opportunity across the board. And I mean, to your point about growing a fan base and being at that point, right, where it, it, it sounds for you, it, it very much is about the music, right? And one of the things that I've always said when I talk to people about sort of my longer term goals in pursuing this brand and, and this concept of my podcast around a full-on career is that I don't think I ever have a desire to be truly famous, but I would like to be well-renowned and respected. And I think that there's like a difference between like wanting to be in the spotlight per se, and then having a fan base that is loyal and consistent and feels something I think a little bit more personally with you than somebody who's just sort of flashing across the screen or across magazines. And while some of those people I think remain grounded and, and have good relationships with their fan base, it's nice to to be able to deconstruct sort of that expectation of artists and how we relate to them and be able to have a more personal one-to-one -one relationship with them when possible. So I think growing your fan base with the intention of having those connections, that's a ripple effect. That's something that like I will tell somebody else to listen to your music and also total chill vibes. So, you know, I think like part of it is like I gauge whether or not I like celebrities based on their performances in interviews with people, not on stage. <laughs> it's like, I, know. I know. So it's helpful to like, I you know, know, there's a likability factor to it that I think like it totally changes things when you find out like a celebrity you really liked is just an a-hole. Yeah. You're like, no, no, not them. You know, you're like, oh, and then every time you watch their movie or hear their song, you're like, it's a little tainted yeah, yeah. for you. <laughs> 
like, oh God, I wish I didn't know that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's absolutely one of those happened recently. And I'm like, no, she's one of my favorite comedians. I'm like, no. Oh my God. No, that's, I, I totally get it. And it's hard too, because, you know, like, especially with social media, I think there's an impression that we all get right of people and what's authentic, what's not. And I think that's really what in general is so important for us as individuals and for you as a performer and for us as listeners to be able to connect on that level and diving into the thought around authenticity, you know, we had met, like I said, at that show. And one of the songs that you sang that like really stood out to me a ton was Better Weather. And I think that you introed that song saying that you wrote it at a point in your life where you were really confronted quite heavily with your chronic illness. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And it resonated a lot with me because my wife leading up to that had been struggling for almost two years, I think, with chronic migraine and really debilitating, oh. like throwing up 18 hours a day, like couldn't do anything, you know? And so when you, oh, awful. it was really, it, it was sort of like divine timing almost where you're, words and then also the fact that you explained it as why you wrote it were so profoundly impactful to me and like sitting there with my wife listening to it and being able to like really relate together to those lyrics was super powerful so can you tell me a little bit about that song and your experience that led to that oh (laughs) yeah oh my god that makes me want to like tear up yeah so that okay so just as uh some background that's a song that I released a few months ago I actually wrote it over a year ago I think so it's actually it took me a while to kind of put it out but yeah so so my story with chronic illness is that I lived in a place with toxic mold with black mold for about a year in Denver with my sister we both lived there and we had no idea at the time. And of course, we didn't know anything about mold or anything like that. And so we both started getting super sick. And then when we moved out of that place, it didn't stop. Like it almost got worse for some reason. Like our bodies were having some weird reaction to like also leaving the place. But so basically, we and both ended up having what I would describe as like a complete nervous system breakdown. Oh, wow. I ended up having like chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. I started getting all sorts of weird allergies to food. I was just, my nervous system was so on the fritz. I ended up with something that, that they're calling multiple chemical sensitivity, which is like when you're literally just randomly sensitive to something and it, it basically sends you into like a panic attack, essentially. So Super. That so, sounds really great. So like this was in 2013, sorry, yeah, 2013, I think is when I lived in that place. As things progressively got worse and worse, I had to, I had moved to California to go to grad school. I dropped out of school, moved back in with my parents. My dad's a doctor help take care of me. My sister ended up moving there too. We just like, neither of us could really, I mean, it just got so bad. I could barely walk to get like my own mail, you know, like it was just how, that, how long did that persist for? Like four years. Oh my God. It was like, you know, it, it was down, 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 down. And then it was like three steps forward, two steps back for like years. And even now I still have like some things, but I've worked my butt off to get to where I am. And it, I, there's no solution really like for that works for everybody. Like for me, it was a lot of time diet change, therapy, 
a variety of different treatments that worked for me at different times. You know, something would work at some time and not at another time. I'm a huge proponent of acupuncture to manage pain and things like that. It was rough. <laughs> and my, we definitely still, I still have issues every once in a while. Some smells, some items I'll have some bizarre reaction to and all my symptoms will come back for like three days. Wow. Yeah, I'm like a human mold detector or like bad chemical detector. You should be a home inspector. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. It's absolutely wild. And if anyone hears this podcast who thinks they might be going through that, please feel free to reach out because the scariest thing was that like it's not really that recognized by doctors. You know, like they kind of thought we were having a mental problem. Like it was just mental which made it a lot harder because basically we'd go somewhere and people would just think we were nuts and the story didn't make any sense. But because my sister and I were both having the same thing happen to us, we were 100% sure that we yeah. were just both having a mental breakdown at the exact same You're time. You're like, it's joint psychosis. <laughs> yeah. So like the crazy thing is, dear Lord, I would never wish that on her. But if we hadn't both got sick, what if we never figured it out if it only happened to one of us? So I mean, in a way, it was sort of a gift. But Anyway, to the song. So once I started feeling better, I started, um, uh, you know, I got into a relationship with my now fiance. Yay. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm like, yes, it somehow worked out. So hey, um, man, you know what? I think it always (laughs) tends to happen in the most unexpected ways. And I hate when people say that, but I do believe it's true. My wife and I met at an Adele concert before anybody knew who Adele was. Oh, that's amazing. So I mean, like, that that is very special. Totally. Especially because like, it was a venue of I think maybe less than 200 people. Like, really, like first album. And that is her first album. So good. I know, right? We'll talk about that for sure. I know. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Can I just say that I was so unbelievably surprised that she was a 19 year old white woman? Because when I heard her voice, I thought she was like Etta James. Like, that's what I I that's what like vibed for me because I heard absolutely for last first. I think Pandora like randomly scrolled through it and I was like what is this oh my gosh I love this and I was expecting to be like older music it was sort of like when I heard Rehab by Amy Winehouse for the first time and was like yeah so soulful yeah yeah who is this and what are they doing yeah there's so much depth to the some of those songs and the, the voices too but I started dating my current fiance and that was like, we've been together for like five years now. And so at some, you know, he was really with me while I was still battling this. Like I was just still in the middle of it. I wasn't like totally incapacitated anymore. I had sort of started to get back to normal life, but like had a lot of limitations. We would be out with friends and I all of a sudden would be like, I need to leave right now. Like I'm not feeling okay. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like just panicky, you know, it was probably so hard for him. And so the song just came at a particularly tough time where I just was really feeling like I was not worth the trouble. You know, that's kind of essentially the gist of the song was that I just didn't feel like I was capable at that time of giving back what I was getting because of my condition. And I hated that because I just feel like I'm I'm always I always want to be there for people. And and I I feel like I'm usually in my family and in my friend group, sort of like a really steady, reliable person. And I haven't had a lot of like crazy fluctuations in my life. I've always been able to kind of like hold space for people, which I, I count myself really lucky. And so for me to get this sick was the first time where I just was like the weak link, you know, and it's just so hard for me to cope with. Because I, I just, that's not who I wanted to be, you know, but I, but it was such a good learning experience for me. And I feel like I've 
changed so much as a person for the better from getting sick. But so that song and the cool thing, too, about that song is like a lot of times songs are a struggle, like they take a while to get out. And that song, I just like sat at the piano and wrote in like 10 minutes. I love that. Lyrics and everything, chords, everything. So it all just came out. And I do think it's probably like one of the most vulnerable and like authentic and maybe relatable songs that I've written. So 100% vulnerable and relatable. And especially when you just said that having that moment where you're forced through no control of your own to to rely on other people, to be lucky to have those people that you can rely on for sure, um, especially if you're one of the people in your friend group who are, are kind of that steady hand. And, and I agree with you. I think I've often played that role. I think what was so profound about listening to that song in that moment and with my wife, Holly, was that she probably was feeling really, really similar to you and having those lyrics really define how she felt, but listening to them, you know, with my own perspective and how being on the receiving side of that is like, you know, I heard from her, like, you don't have to do this, like, you don't have to go through this. I don't want to screw things up for you, kind of was the sort of the the umbrella statement, not in those exact words, but you know, that general feeling of I don't want to hold you back. And we've been together for like 12 years, and we've been married for five and a half. And so I mean, to me, there's if you love somebody and you and you want the best for them, I think, you know, as long as you're able to maintain your sense of self in situations like that, then that's being a good partner. But I totally get what you're saying, because I also think as the partner in that scenario, I needed to really, really emphasize taking time for me because so much of my energy was put back towards making sure that she was okay. Because even if she didn't want that, I I knew that I really felt that that was something I had to do. And so there's this boundary that you have to set for yourself. I always thought of codependency as like a one-way street where somebody who's codependent is the person who who needs. But the more that I've become educated and self-aware on it is like you as a giver can be codependent. Yes. You like want to give, 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 give. Yes. And I'm totally that kind of codependent. I'm like... I will give until I can't give anymore. And then when you don't have anything to give, like how do you process and how do you move forward? So I mean, a lot of respect to both you and your fiance because it's a really challenging time. Like it took us a long time to figure out how to navigate it. And then on the heels of that, there were other issues that we were facing that were unfortunate experiences that we went through. But I I do think having sort of that as like a launch pad in a relationship, like it's basically like, I mean, yeah, like it totally makes sense that you're engaged now because that is basically the deep moment in a relationship. You're like, so we're either going to get through this and we're going to keep going or we're just going to stop. Yeah. There's very little in between there because I think at some point you everybody hits a breaking point. You don't want to feel like you're taking from somebody else. And as the person on the other side, you don't want to feel like there's such a substantial imbalance in a relationship that you can't get what you need. So I, I mean, I, I respect the lyrics of the song. I respect the intention behind the song. And and honestly, because you did the stripped down versions in the show that we saw, uh, you know, it was, I think, that much more like, oh, wow, this is really intense and heavy and it feels beautiful and relevant. Yeah. And like that song, definitely like the first couple of times I performed it, it, it was very challenging for me to perform it without starting to cry. And like, you can't really sing when you're crying. So I really had to hold it together. So it's very tough. 
and you know i don't know and like the the beautiful thing about music and lyrics some days i didn't feel that way you know like some days even when i was sick i felt like you know we're doing fine like i'm getting better i'm pulling my own way whatever this is a great relationship whatever whatever but like in this one moment I just felt like it, it just it wasn't enough. What I think is so special is like if you're in the right headspace at the right time, you can like really capture that moment forever with a song, even if it's not true all the time. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I, I and the way that you described how the song came to you and how quickly you were able to write it and, and write the music for it, too. I mean, that blows my mind, Mari, because I am so musically inept. Um, <laughs> like, I, I have so much respect for musicians and I would fancy myself a writer and I've always thought of it would be so cool if I could do something more with music because I feel like I could write lyrics, but I wouldn't have any idea how to like construct it because that's just not how my brain works, you know? And so I do think part of it is like really the fact that, you know, that's a snapshot in time and it's a snapshot in time that because of your ability to communicate your experiences and emotions through music just really created this profound and impactful song that frankly, I think encapsulated an experience that a lot of people have. And I would love to see that song more widespread and sort of like as a an anthem to that experience for both parties, because I think that the way that you wrote it is both about your experience as the person going through the illness and also that feeling of responsibility as a partner to your partner and what really that means for both of you. Whereas sometimes when I think people go through an experience, it feels largely about what we're going through as individuals. And that can connect with people for sure. But you really played it nicely to both sides of that coin. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I feel like I can't, it, I don't know, lyrics are so strange. It's like sometimes it's like, feels like they just pop pop in your head and I can't even take credit for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know it sounds so silly, but it's like, I feel like I didn't even come up with that. Like Sometimes it, I look back you know? at stuff I wrote and I'm like, I Google it to be like, wait, did I write that? Or is this something yeah. I just thought was like, it sounded good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to write about things like that because it's people that I know who know what I'm going through are going to be like, oh, is she depressed? Well, well, you know what I mean? But like, uh, but it's, I think it's, it's important. It feels liberating put it out. And, and like you were saying, I feel like one of the coolest things is that like, once you put the song out, then it belongs to the, to you. Like then it belongs to the people who listen to it and like, they don't know me and it just, it means whatever it means to them. And that's like the coolest thing. Yeah, that's so, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I I mean, I think that's as a, as a listener and, and somebody who just loves music so much and loves music for both the music and the lyrics and obviously the talent of a vocalist. It's just that I feel music very deeply. And so whether it's something that's like poppy and fun and exciting and I just want to like jam out to it or it's something that's like melancholy and I just want to like sink into that feeling or somewhere in between. Like I love a lot of pretty simple folk, uh, like indie folk or indie folk rock mm. kind of stuff because I like that feeling of intimacy coupled with, I, I think a lot of times songs like that are very personal and narrative and it feels like you can visualize this like real experience that somebody's having as you're listening to the song and so that's something that to your point like we all get to experience that in our own way and you know my wife and I were just talking about this that 
music is something that can bring people together no matter what their views are. And at this point in time in the world, I think it's especially important because yeah. we're so divided. And I mean, it's like, obviously, like it doesn't even need to be said at this point, we're that divided. But I think that when you know that nothing else really matters except for like that moment in time that you're listening to, like that's right. such a brilliant revelation and it, it really launches you into the present. I know. Music is just so special and unique that way. Yeah, for sure. Well, so, you know, your music, I, I, I heard it, like I said, I heard very stripped down versions of it first, but you have like an electro pop. Is that how you would refer to your style or please you correct me? Yeah. <laughs> would you, would you call it something different that is more accurate? Oh, no, I've never been, I've never been good at categorizing my own music. I usually call it like indie pop. Okay, cool. But you're not wrong to call it electronic because, because it's definitely more electronic than it is bandy. Like there's not a lot, there's definitely more electronic elements going on. So yeah. And so tell me a little bit about like your process when you're, when you're recording or when you're streaming, because you do your content a lot of times live on Twitch. So like we're getting Marigo yeah. live flaws and all like you're recording and you're just launching into it and letting people hear it. Like that's a pretty vulnerable experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, there's, there's sort of like two different things then. So like there's me alone in the studio, but with me, the studio meaning my own home studio. Same um, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't like go to a fancy studio. I'm just at home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, messing around with stuff and writing writing songs on my own versus like being live on Twitch. And so there's like different, definitely a different process that goes into that. Like we mentioned sort of at the beginning of the podcast, I use a software called Ableton Live that definitely is like the best friend of pretty much all electronic music producers. I mean, it's great for a lot of stuff, but it definitely like lends itself towards like beat making and synthesis and stuff like that. Whereas like a program like Pro Tools, probably more commonly used to record a live band or a live orchestra or something like that. So I learned Ableton live in 2016 when I was living in LA. I took some classes at this place called Beat Lab Academy with some fantastic teachers. And I had been getting better from getting sick. I started working. I was like working jobs, sort of like music adjacent. I managed an opera company. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I mean, it was cool stuff, but I really missed performing. So, and I missed making music. And I feel like part of me being sick and getting better was like, what am I doing if I'm not enjoying my life? So I took this class yeah. and I learned how to use this software. And that's sort of what took me from being a primarily classically trained musician to making electronic music. That's super I have cool. A background. Yeah, like I have a background in classical piano and classical voice. I sing opera and I took piano from like age four, you know, and then in 2016, I was like, OK, that's too serious and I don't really want to do that as a job. So like, what should I do that would be fun? And and I, I decided that this software was what I wanted to learn. And it, it really kind of like changed my whole life. So being that I'm very proficient at this software, usually when I sit down to write, I'm working in the software, just messing with sounds, making beats. I've got some of my favorite gear in here with me, which is like my Nord keyboard. So um, like I said, I'm a, a pianist. And so that's sort of my primary writing instrument. However, I also play guitar, a little bit of mandolin and some other Dope. random stuff. Like, you know, I have a ukulele. I like, that you, I like that you play a mandolin. Ukulele, I think, is a lot more common than the mandolin. Yeah, like yeah, mandolin's yeah, yeah. definitely yeah, like next this, level. Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, it's, yes, yes, I love it. 
Yeah. So good. So yeah. And so I do definitely incorporate live instruments too. So sometimes I'll sit down with the software and I'll just make like electronic kind of stuff in, in the, in the box, as they say, or on the computer. And other times I'll just like sit down with my keyboard or with my guitar, mess around till I get some like chords or sounds that I like and kind of start working with melody after that. Oh, cool. So that's sort of how my songs come into play. So Better Weather, for example, like I had just bought my Nord, which is like a really high end, awesome, awesome keyboard. And it was like the first day I set it up and I just was playing around with the patches. I was so excited about the sounds. And that song just came out start to finish. That's awesome. That sounds very serendipitous. Yeah, that happens sometimes when you get a new instrument. I feel like always I end up writing something new on a new instrument. I love that. That's super cool. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there's a balance between buying too much gear. You're like, I'm feeling uninspired. I'm going to need to get a new instrument. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, it's a dark hole. It's a deep, (laughs) deep, dark hole. Uh, financially. Yeah, no, I, I believe it. I, well, I feel like the other thing too with musical instruments especially is that I imagine anyway, just knowing how I feel about certain equipment that I have for just general life purposes, as well as the podcast, it's like you get something, you just feel like a little kid on Christmas. And so with yeah. like with instruments, it's like, I mean, there's so many different kinds. There's so many different styles. There's so many, like you have so many options. So like at least with podcasting equipment, I can be like, well, I have that and that's the best one I can have. That's it. That's all I need. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It No, it never stops. I'm like, I have so much stuff and I'm like, all right, next up, I'm going to yeah. get a bass guitar. And then after that, I'm going to get a synth. And like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I have so many plans. <laughs> I, I hope that the next interview, um, if it must be virtual, is just like your wall smothered and like, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 20 more. <laughs> and I'm like, um, yeah, yeah. so which one are you going to play for us today? <laughs> Write a song live. I know. You know. <laughs> I feel like as far as like gearheads go, I think I keep it under on lock though, because like, I think a lot of people shelf stuff and don't use it, but I feel pretty confident that I pretty much use everything I've got, which makes me feel good. Including the skeleton on the wall behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, (laughs) that's, that's Rebecca. (laughs) Nice. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I've got, I've got another, yeah, my skeleton that's for my streams. Is that seasonal or is it just always there? (laughs) Seasonal. The skeleton wall on the wall is for I put that up for my Twitch streams. Nice. And we like to joke that it's the body of a troll that I hunted down and ended for trolling my Twitch I, stream. I love that. That's <laughs> hilarious. That's hilarious. And so we warn we warn people not to troll. I like it. I think that sends like a very clear message. <laughs> right. It's a little dark, but oh that's well, amazing. Oh well. You get new equipment, you you felt inspired to write better weather when you got your Nord. Yeah. So if I'm just working, I prefer to write my own music off stream. I I have found I haven't quite found the like maybe confidence or something to like write on stream to write like new original music on stream. I'll try stuff that's like unfinished on stream and kind of work it out. But like when I sit down to write a new idea, i I feel like there's something that distracts me about being on Twitch. It's like people are talking, people suggest things. It's not it doesn't I need that quiet space. And you would think I get that a lot. Yeah. By the way, like just as a writer, like I mean, it's sort of like sometimes I need so much silence that I will like hold my hands over my ears yes. and be like, okay, what am I thinking right now? Like I need to just like exist with what's happening inside of me. And it feels like there's probably, like you were saying, external pressure. Yeah. Whether it's something that you feel because, you know, you said confidence, but I, I think probably partly that, but it's almost like 
you don't necessarily want immediate feedback on something that is still so raw in, in its state. Yeah, raw and in its stages of infancy, too. Right. Like, I mean, maybe if you had like a line or a couple of lines that you were like, OK, this is like what I'm playing with. This is what I'm thinking about. Sure. But like trying to get a whole song out. Shit. I can't imagine trying to do that live. I feel like I would panic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's like I just can't. And it's it, it just doesn't I'm not in a good headspace and I'm, I'm worried about what's entertaining for people because that's kind of what Twitch is for. And, yeah. you know, I want to I want to be entertaining and I want to engage with people. And when I'm thinking about what to write, I, I can't talk to anybody, you know, yeah. like I can't, I can't be answering some questions. So. No, totally. It takes you out of the zone. <laughs> yeah. So on Twitch, generally, like what I'm doing is performing original songs and covers often by request. But the fun part of it is that because I, like I have mentioned multiple times, because I use the software Ableton, which is super, super amazing for live performance, it really allows me to like basically create an entire song arrangement live quickly. That's so cool. So it's like looping, but like even more flexible. Like it's like live looping with a loop pedal, but even more flexible and 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 powerful. I can do a lot more with it instead of just like playing and singing a cover through, which I do do that for some songs. A lot of them are, are more involved and I'm I'm sort of like putting together a lot of different pieces to make a full arrangement of a song and and do like a cool looped version of it so and a lot of times they're completely made up so that is true I definitely have songs that at this point I kind of have my groove down on like what loops work and the timing but even though sometimes I'll get bored with it and just be like I'm gonna do it in this weird style just for fun and we'll do like you know Lady Gaga at like kind of jazzy instead of pop and you know something like that and that makes it more fun and exciting for me I think it does for listeners as well, to be honest, like because I think that it's really awesome to hear somebody do a cover that respects the original version and pays homage to that. But I also feel like some of the best covers are ones that do take on sort of a life of their own and give you a new perspective on the song. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes I'll find that the way that I did it, the different way that I did actually works a lot better and I'll start doing it more that way or, you know, so it, it's just a lot of fun and, and, and Twitch is so like, it's such a unique platform. It's actually, I think ties really well into the conversation we were having earlier about there being this difference between like the performer on the stage that you really have no contact with and then this really intimate relationship on Twitch. That's super where, cool. Like I have regulars, I have a lot of regulars who are with me every single stream I know stuff about them. You know, I might know their real name. I've seen they I've seen photos of them maybe. Like we, we have jokes together. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, and and I really do feel like we we've kind of like 180'd in the world of entertainment where like things were for the last 10 years or maybe even a little more were, have become so highly produced and planned out you know it's like music in like the 60s and 70s and even the 80s there was still a lot of like live performance recordings and stuff was all on tape so you you couldn't go in and edit every last thing to make it perfect and so now it's like everything is executed at such a high level and everything is so planned and perfect there's no room for that like spontaneity and i feel like with live streaming becoming so popular you know like it was already happening but then covid i think expedited this yeah it's like it's just making like a 180 now celebrities are getting on twitch and just like talking to people making music live breaking down the behind the scenes of what they're doing and i think that's really cool and i prefer that kind of relationship myself because i i'm not just like a killer front person like 
I'm a good performer and I, I'm engaging and things like that. But like, I'm not going to be the next Lady Gaga. You know yeah, what I no, mean? T- totally. It's just it's not my thing. Like, I'm an introvert, believe it or not. <laughs> so yeah, no, but that's cool, too. And I have to say one of the things that blows my mind, and I just said this to Holly, I think a day or t- it must have been two days ago. I feel like one of the things that makes me so passionate about what I'm doing in in having these conversations with people like yourself is how often I hear from people that they're introverts <laughs> because I love that people who are defined by themselves as sort of inherently less outward about how they feel or, or or things that they're thinking have the ability and desire to open up to me like it's to me that's just like such a huge compliment to to know that people who might be a little bit more reserved in how they communicate about um, what they're thinking or feeling feel like this is a space where like you can do that and you can do that authentically and wholly and that's really the goal of doing this like I so I I have to tell you that because it's something that like it continues to be sort of surprising to me but I also hear it from my friend groups like one of my best guy friends is a super introvert and he's like I don't know you just bring something out like it's just it's just there and it's easy to talk to you so like we just don't think about that and I'm like that's cool I just worry that I'm too much for people who are introverted because I'm like hi hey what's going on (laughs) (laughs) no 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 you certainly are really easy to talk to I remember that even when we met at so far I was like she is so friendly (laughs) well thank you. I mean, I, I do. Str- I do strive yeah. for that. But, um, you know, in in an authentic way, too. Right. Like, I, I know I keep saying that word, but it's like I think that there is this sense that, you know, we can talk to each other, but there's like concern about being like really real. And in talking to you that night, I actually was nervous. Like, I mean, I genuinely in situations like that, I, st- I am out of my comfort zone. Yeah. I always say like I'd rather go somewhere with somebody and then I can be like more fully myself. But if I'm in a situation alone, then I'm like a lot more socially anxious about it. And I don't think people get that because I am very, um, I think, outward. I lead with my my heart and definitely my mouth. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, the whole reason I did this was I was like, somebody should pay me for talking. Like, I just really would yeah. like to monetize this now. Uh, but I, Good but the human can, right? <laughs> I'm like, I always got in trouble for not shutting up I feel like there's something there (laughs) but I but I genuinely love like that element of connection too and and what you're talking about around twitch with that ability um you know it makes people more accessible and and I think that you know Instagram sort of was a launch pad for that stuff too in that like and even Twitter as far as just like a little bit more insight into what people that you typically see in an, in a performance environment whether that's music or television or film or whatever like you get bits and pieces of those people in interviews and you get bits and pieces of those people in magazines and those might not be accurate representations of those individuals and so I feel like with something like Twitch you have this opportunity to like really showcase who you are in a way that matters to you and isn't to your point like this highly produced like precision of this is the image that Marigo wants to like present and continue to persist like you're a human being and you're being human. Yes. And like I my streams are four hours long and I stream three times a week. I knew that like you just, streamed three times a week. I didn't know they were four hours long. I've yeah, clearly been missing out. Shit. <laughs> they're like there's not a chance that like you're not getting the real me yeah. for that long. You know, like at I some mean? point like, I will break character. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, like, I remember when I first started, I was pretty timid. Now 
I feel like I'm just with my friends. Like I'm just swearing. Like I have a, like there's all these jokes on my stream because I have terrible potty mouth. I've been really good on this podcast. I mean, why though? It's literally called who the fuck you curse all you want. I guess that's very free, true. Free reign. It's labeled explicit before I even get it in like oh, past that's good the title. To know. <laughs> I just like, okay, when I do things that are new, I'm pretty good about reining it in. But I, I have to say like my stream, half the jokes on my stream are about how bad my potty mouth is oh my like, it's, seriously this is free range you so fire them bad. off as you feel as you as you see fit <laughs> just like anytime i mess up a loop i'm like fuck yeah <laughs> you know like it's just that's just like it just comes out of my mouth oh my god i have like the worst swearing i've like you know went to drink water and just spilled it all over myself on the street you know it's just like ridiculous <laughs> yeah no i hear you i mean i spilled water right before we started this yeah. and, I, and i'm sure like had this been by myself not on mic i probably would have had a much more visceral reaction to it so i yeah, get that totally and like, you know, like sometimes my loops or, or songs go really well and sometimes they don't, yeah. you know, like that's just that's the break. That's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, like you said, Twitch is becoming a lot more popular now, especially with the distancing situation going on. But you've been doing this for a while. So what was it that originally prompted you to start live streaming and, and really kind of be a little bit of an innovator when it comes to that? Because people are kind of just now hopping on that train. So yeah, I've been streaming now for two years. So I first started when I was still living in California. I had been kind of wanting to not do my job anymore. <laughs> been there, been there. <laughs> so I was like working for this opera company, which I loved. I actually loved this company, but I had moved and I, my commute was super long. I was also teaching yoga on the side, which is another thing that I've done a lot in my life. And wanted to so I, I started streaming as because I just wanted to be like performing a little bit more and I started it with like zero intention of ever making any money from it I kind of was doing it as like a way to make myself practice like I was like all right I'm just gonna like commit to doing this once a week or twice a week I want to get better at guitar I had not been playing guitar for years and so I was like just want to get back into the playing and singing because I just feel like I haven't been doing it enough and I had no gear. I think I just had one mic, my guitar, and just me. <laughs> and it was like, you know, I had all these tech problems, whatever. You know, it just didn't take that long for me to get 15, 20, 30 viewers, 40 viewers even. And even with that much, you start to see some cash come in from Twitch. You know, not enough to That's live off of, but but you get it. Production costs. <laughs> yes. And so I was like, wow, that's awesome. This is like a great little additional income. So then what happened was my fiance got a job in Seattle. And so I had to quit my jo all my jobs. And we, I mean, I didn't have to, but I, I wanted to go. I thought Seattle would be a nice place to live. I was kind of getting tired of LA just because I really prefer to be in a place that's a little more nature-y. And the air quality was actually really detrimental for someone who has autoimmune problems. So I just thought Seattle would be a healthier place to live, also has a great music scene and music history. And for sure. I mean, that's one of the things that I think is super cool about Seattle, too, because in Philly, I went to the shows all the time in Philly and I loved going to like smaller venues, too. And I feel like Seattle is like prime real estate for that market of indie artists at smaller venues and like lesser known people. So many great venues here. And gosh, I hope that they survive. Same, because I have not had enough of an experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, I'm really hoping. So anyway, I, and my sister actually lives on Bainbridge. So I oh, was cool. really excited. To, and she has two kids and 
you know, I wasn't getting to see them a lot. Now I get to see them a lot, which is great. I was totally on board for this move, but we did move for him, his job. I didn't have anything lined up. I had to quit my job. So when we moved here, we had a second bedroom, extra extra bedroom, which I immediately claimed for my studio, of course. And I just decided that like while I looked for opportunities, I would just stream a lot. That's and then smart. like that became my main opportunity. Like I never ended up getting a job. I just, you know, I ended up building on everything else. So now what I do for work is I stream three days a week for four hours and I teach Ableton. Uh, I teach courses. I, I teach some courses and I teach private lessons and I produce for some other artists and, and myself. That's super cool. And so that's sort of the three things that I offer production, recording, stuff like that, the Twitch streaming and teaching. And so that's really made like a nice little diverse music career for me. That's I mean, that's super cool. And I love that it's really representative of the gig economy because it's like a really great way to put together pieces of your skill set to create like this whole that provides for you both financially, it sounds like, and also from the level of fulfillment. And I mean, for me, like fulfillment's the director, but like, you know, girls got to eat. So like, yeah, we also you, you have to make money. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not an option. Like, I, I remember, like, because I went to school for film. And I remember saying to my parents at one point, I don't care if I live in a box as long as I'm doing what I love. Then like, cue the economy crashing in 2008, as I'm holding a film degree. And I've said this on other episodes, it's like, so what are you going to do with your life? Like, good luck with that. And at that point, too, like you couldn't be on your parents insurance so it was like I need a job I need to figure this out and I mean I fell ass backwards into technology and it's been a good career for me and it's given me trajectory that I wouldn't have otherwise seen so the timing was a bit convenient but at the same time like I hear what you're saying and and you know I was joking around like somebody should pay me for talking but it is something that sincerely like because I care so much about connecting with people and wanting that opportunity that leveraging the platforms that we have available to us today, giving ourselves the opportunity to create a career that isn't mapped out for us. You know, I think like a lot of us feel like funneled into something. And even as a musician, this is what you do. This is how you get to where you want to go as a musician. And you're you're sort of breaking that stereotype of like, this is how you take yourself from this point of your career to that point, because you don't have to be like, maybe your goal isn't to be like on stage singing to 100,000 people like you said in the sense of like maybe you don't want to take that like extreme position that like a Lady Gaga or a Pink or Kelly Clarkson has right like they're they're there and they're brilliant at what they do but it's also like that's not everybody one of the things that you've said is that you are primarily I believe focused on educating and producing for women to help sort of close the gender gap in the music industry and, and in particularly on the production side of things. So could you talk a little bit about that and, and why you're so passionate about that? I mean, aside from the fact that you are a woman in production and uh, and music. Right, obviously. So it's yeah. relevant. But yeah, yeah. Thanks for getting us here because I had definitely wanted to discuss this. So I feel like I went from being like, okay, my music is the number one thing I want to work on to now really focusing on this issue, which is that in the world of music, I would say production and engineering, like mixing and mastering as well, mainly the technical aspects, so not performing, although there's issues there too. But in the technical aspects, women are like such a tiny percentage. I think the latest I've heard on pro female producers is 3% of them are women. Wow. Three. Wow. So, and I do think it's changing fast now as of the last 
three years. I feel like it's that recent. Do you think it's exposure to education that is a limiter? Yes. I think it's a lot of things. I think it's a lot of things. It's just one of those complex issues where there's just not one answer. So like the answer is that parents when I was a child didn't think to put their little girl in music tech camp. Yeah. You know, like I went to I took voice lessons and I went to musical theater. Yeah. And dance. Yeah. You know, that's where I went. Like I took ballet and I was on stage. You know what I mean? I was on stage. Yeah. Like girls are performers. Guys are behind the scenes. Yes. Kind of. Yes. And I never saw girls doing that. You know what I mean? I never saw it. I didn't have a role model. So like part of it is that I think that I think these are changing. So I, I wouldn't say necessarily that this the parent thing is maybe still as bad as when I was a kid, but it just you you just wouldn't think to do that with your girl, with your child who's a girl. In film also, like directors, female directors and producers. Sure it's, it's really similar. similar. I remember Penny Marshall being like just a complete revolutionary in that sense being able to like be a female director and like really put something together that you can stand behind and you're not thinking oh a female did this right like and I think that that's part of it is that because of the nature of um, gender dynamics and the inequality that's just inherent and again we're seeing so much more of this now exposed to a heavier degree but like these are things that we've known for a long time and we've sort of accepted and I love that part of your mission is to deconstruct what has existed and like rebuild it in a way that is more inclusive and and because it's not just for women right like you are an advocate for also the trans community and LGBTQ yeah absolutely plus a I I just did an episode about identities and I'm like I I I'm in the community and I never get it right so like I just like what am I I'm like I I all the oh, yeah, letters. just like every letter of the uh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's like just give us well, the like, whole alphabet, then it's totally inclusive. <laughs> absolutely, though. Like I definitely think like any anyone in like the gender fluid area too is left out of these things. Generally speaking, yeah. So number one is the parent is the parents thing, and I do think that some parenting things are shifting. The second thing would be definitely education. I think the schools kind of do the same thing that maybe parents do. And there's just these ideas that like girls do things like dance and sing and blah, blah, blah. Also, electronic music hasn't really been put into schools yet. But I think it is such a great opportunity because it's cheap. You don't have to buy an instrument. It's software. All schools have computers now. So I actually think it's one of the most accessible ways to bring music to kids who maybe can't afford instruments or yeah, that's really teacher, interesting. You know, things like that. So I actually think there's a lot of really cool possibilities there. And then I think there's just a lot of like gatekeeping from the side of of the behind the scenes stuff. And there is a lot of assumption going into the studio from from like, so now we're out of education, we're more into like a professional standpoint. If you're a woman and you go into the studio, they're going to assume you're a vocalist. They're also going to assume you don't know what you're doing. And almost every, like I teach almost all women, almost all my students are women. And every single one of them has told me an experience like that. It's not surprising, unfortunately. Yeah. And then even as an adult, like when I, I told you earlier that I took this class in LA at this place called Beat Lab Academy, no bad things to say about them. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But I was the one girl in a class of 12 people. It was me and 11 guys. I was pretty scared because I hadn't been doing, I hadn't done any of that. Almost everyone came in, almost all the guys came in, I DJ, blah, blah, you know what I mean? Like I've had Ableton for years, you know, I'm like 
I'm a classical musician. I was like, just about <laughs> to say that. I was just about to say that. You're like, I can sing some opera for you. <laughs> but like, no joke. Like, just because of who I am, like, I walked in that room. I like got the vibe of it, and I was like, I'm gonna whoop y'all asses by the end of this course. I love you it. You know what I mean? I love it. And like, I then I went on to become a certified trainer which no one else I think has done that in there. So I'm like, yep, done, I mean, accomplished. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, you're like mic dropped. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, my my classical background gave me a lot of help because I already had the music theory. And so, and I'm also sort of a techie person a little bit. And so I pick up on software qu- quickly. So I just found myself having a knack for it, which was great. But there was one other girl in the beginning, she dropped out and I'm 100% sure it's because she didn't feel safe, comfortable, like a good learning environment. Yeah. And it's not that anyone in the class was mean or abusive, but it's just not comfortable. No, it's stressful. Like you don't want to be the only girl there with all the guys assuming stuff about you. Yeah. It's just not, and I, it was male teachers. I know now they have some female teachers. Well done. Yeah. But I had taken the class sort of towards the beginning of their, they had just started, you know, I, they weren't that old. So they had like two teachers and they were both men. Yeah. Amazing teachers, wonderful, very inclusive, warm, lovely. But there is a, a relationship that I think is limited by that dynamic in certain ways, particularly yeah. if you are a female looking to grow your career. Somebody who is a man doesn't have the same perspective because they're not experiencing the same things. And this is, again, this is like so relevant to like what's going on just in general in the world today is there's sort of these invisible limitations and it's not the glass ceiling per se I mean yes it is in certain ways but in other ways it's just that like even thinking about like so I'm left-handed right and like my parents growing up trying to teach me how to do things left-handed as right-handed people is very confusing for everybody you know <laughs> yes yeah yeah that is such a good like simple way to explain it it's like even if the men don't mean harm it's just there's something missing if you're the only one because you can't explain the experience in the right context um, yeah. as much as they might seek to understand they can't know um and i think that goes for a lot of things i mean even to the point back of like when you were talking about the process for better weather and what you went through that led to that. I mean, people who don't have chronic illness don't understand what it's like. People who aren't in relationships with people who go through that stuff don't understand what it's like. And you can try your best to explain it. But the fewer degrees of separation there are between yourself and and an experience, the more likely it is that you can grasp that and, and understand it in a way that's meaningful and productive. Yeah. So what I've ended up doing it, it, this past year is teaching a beginner Ableton course for only women and LGBTQ students. That's awesome. And I do, I have thought a lot about excluding men and whether that's the right thing to do. And I guess the issue is that what I found is that having a group of 12 women and trans and non-binary students has just been such a lovely experience. Like, it's so nice and everyone, and then everyone is okay asking questions that they're worried or dumb and and people are okay maybe falling a little bit behind and then they don't feel as panicked and just putting themselves out there. And I kind of feel like maybe now that I've established myself as this person who wants this kind of environment that maybe opening the course up to men might attract the right kind of men, you know? But there's something really special about the class being for women and people who've been excluded. It's just 
It feels nice. It's kind of like a a band of misfits, as I like to call my group of friends sometimes. And and I get that. I mean, I think that's really inspired, too. And, you know, it's hard because you're trying to toe the line when you do something like that. It's like, well, it's it's exclusive to certain people for, you know, decades and decades and decades and trying to claim some ownership of our own experience and to give opportunities to other people like ourselves. It requires focus and it requires the intention and the drive to build a community around that. And to your point, it's not to say that men can't or shouldn't be involved, but it does create a different dynamic. And even um, with the most well-intentioned man, it gets back to that like relatability to the circumstance. And if you don't have that, then it does create, I think, a little bit of a challenge in terms of like really having that experience resonate consistently with your student base. Yeah. And I like, I still just wonder if I had the class open to everyone, if as many girls would have taken the class, if as many trans people would have hit me up about the class. I mean, I just don't think so. I think there's fear, you know, like yes, there's there's an inherent fear and it's not because you're worried that somebody necessarily is a bad person and going to, um, you know, lay into you on something, but it's the insecurity of the unknown. At least that's my feeling on it. Yeah, yeah. My number one priority is that th- this is more accessible to these people who have been excluded and that there's a safe place to learn and... I'm just going to be really blunt about it. But like, do if, it. <laughs> if doing that, if if to do that, I have to exclude men, I'm fine with that <laughs> because yeah. they have all the opportunities. And it's like, like, I'm thinking of like Ruth Bader Ginsburg being like, how, you know, how many, how many justices would you want to be women to, for it to be fair? Nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how about nine? You know, like, yeah, because it's been nine men for all of our existence. (laughs) I'm going, we're going to need to tip the scales. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what is it going to take? So, you know, I've had some friends of mine, some male friends of mine hit me up and be like, I'm interested in taking your class, but like, you know, why do you make it exclusive? And I'm just like, I don't even think I can bother explaining it to you. (laughs) I'm just. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. Like, if you don't understand why, then I think you've explained it to yourself. Yeah. And I think that's still, I can't say for sure. And so I don't want to be like, talk like I know what I'm talking about. But like, I think Beat Lab like still has an issue attracting women to the class. I had a waiting list last time. That's super so, cool. I mean, good for you. Honestly, yeah, so like, that's awesome. So like, what's so what's missing? You know what I mean? Like, that's what's missing is this sense of safety and community and that feeling that you can actually be vulnerable and learn something new and like not feel like it was a waste of time or make you feel worse about yourself. Well, that's like, God I mean, forbid you end up leaving feeling worse about yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's such a good point, too. I mean, there's a whole element of psychological safety that plays into our ability to actually perform with the sense of self that, like, you know, we we would want. And especially in the music industry or performance industry in general, like, I think the best content comes from people being very open about their own experiences and what they want to do and what they're capable of and and whether that's performance or production side of things you know like i think our creativity peaks when we are able to really address a situation without those expectations on ourselves because there's sort of like the expectation of society which you were talking about like parents and teachers and sort of the way the system works now and then and perception but then there's also expectations that we place on ourselves like you were saying somebody entering a class and being nervous and not sure if they should talk about certain things or ask questions because they don't want to be perceived a certain way and in reality that's so self-limiting but 
that insecurity is is sort of embedded in a lot of us because we know what it's like to be criticized or ridiculed for opening up and having that vulnerability, even if it's to ask a question. So if you recoil and you don't give yourself the chance to be open-minded in like the broadest way possible, then you're honestly doing yourself a disservice too. And so there's like the balance of having somebody like yourself who creates these opportunities and then also having people who want to move past that restriction that's sort of been placed in front of them without being asked. You know, it's like it's just there and you've got to figure out how to deal with it or you don't deal with it and you and you stay here for the rest of, you know, your career, your life or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That is something I'm always thinking about. Anyone who's looking for for a producer is going to have a hard time finding a female producer, like not to mention a trans or non-binary producer, which I mean, if 3% of women are producers, I, like, That's what, like I mean. what, what, like it's, 0.001%? It's got to be absolutely minuscule. Yeah. So I guess just like imagine this scenario with me. So like if you're a singer or songwriter and you don't know anything about recording really or producing in the computer and stuff like that, you just have written a lot of songs for voice and piano or maybe voice and guitar, and you'd really like to see them like arranged, recorded, and produced professionally. And your only option is to work with a man. That's your only option. And there are amazing, amazing men who are lovely to work with. And so I'm just never, I never want to completely generalize. And I personally have so many amazing male producer friends who are just lovely. There is definitely a difference working with a female producer, different sensibilities, different way of relating. If you want that option, it's difficult to find. And so it's just something I've really been enjoying. And it's a great way to like learn too. if you if you want to know more about the process of recording and producing to like work with someone who's willing to like show you those things and and not be like closed about it or treat you like you don't know what you're talking about or that you know better than them, you know? And that goes for female producers too. Like you shouldn't do that. But there is this weird thing that happens between men in the studio and the singer of this, I don't know, this weird behavior where it's like they just don't know what they're talking about and they're not treated as an equal in the writing process. And often are sort of bowled over or taken advantage of. And and that's just happened over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, to the point where it's almost like people become numb to it. And then it's just sort of the way that things are, again, as with many things. But it really is inspiring to hear how passionate you are about that and that mission to create that equality and equity in the industry. I, I mean, I certainly admire it. And I am grateful that there are people like yourself who are pushing forward with that because without people like yourself, you know, we just continue to do the same thing. And and one of the things that struck me when you were saying that is also, I think in general, women and just people in general, I mean, they have varying degrees to your point of comfort with men and with men in close, intimate environments like that. And so... Yes, it's like one-on-one generally. Yeah, and, and so I think that... And they're working with your baby, yeah. you know, like your song, your your words, your vulnerable thing that you made. Yeah, and I think that that speaks a lot to some of what we've seen just in the entertainment industry at large, where it's like people should be able to, 
and free to express themselves without fear of both retribution or any sort of abuse, either psychological or physical. And there's a comedian that does a bit and she says something along the lines of women inherently trust other women. It could be like, I come up to your baby at an airport and I just like want to touch his leg. And she does this whole bit about it. It's hilarious. And then she goes, but like a man, like you don't see a woman cross the street when a woman's walking by her at night typically, but you will see it happen with a male. And she goes, I could show up to a children's playground in a hospital gown with a raccoon on a leash. And the kids would be like, you have a weird dog. Like, you know, like women, I think like inherently have this nurturing feeling that you feel like you can be a little bit more exposed in the presence of a female emotionally, especially. And so I think that part of it does factor in a lot to what you're talking about. And so while it might seem at the surface to people who are peddling, well, if you're talking about inclusivity, why are you excluding? And it's like, the intention is to be able to develop a more inclusive environment. So to your point, if you can cultivate that, and you then can target the right type of people who are like there with the best of intentions and who are open-minded and really not prone to the type of behavior that we're talking about, then all for it, go for it. Like you don't have to set that limit. And it's not to say that you can't change it in the future. Like that's the beauty of it. It's your decision, you know? So I really applaud that you've set that boundary to be able to construct your practice and your business in a way that gives you and your students the ability to be as true to themselves as they can be without that fear because it's it's a really it's a real thing you know and i think that it's hopefully going to be something that we can look back on and say it it's not remotely like that anymore i hope that's in our lifetime yeah. but it really is largely dependent on people like yourself continuing to press forward with that and to raise the awareness around it to raise the voices of the people around you yeah Thank you. And thanks for giving me the platform to talk about it. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I've had such a blast chatting with you. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to everybody hearing this and hearing what you've done. And you've just really given so much insight to me around your experience and your thoughtfulness for your art. So uh, thank you so much for that, Mari. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Mari Sullivan for sharing her story and her time. You can check out Mari Go's new EP, Stranger, on Spotify now. Follow Mari on Instagram at Mari Go and be sure to check out her live stream on Twitch every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. This episode's Who the Fuck for a Cause is in support of Color of Change. If you have the means, visit whothefck.com slash donate to contribute and help power the movement to end police violence. Make sure you subscribe to the Who the Fuck podcast on your preferred platform. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and share the love by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share your email at whothefck.com to receive updates about the podcast, merch promos, and more. Until next time. Until next time.